Friends, the trade deadline is rolling up here in just a few weeks, and the Winnipeg Jets have been linked to just about everyone under the sun, whether it's depth defenders, depth forwards, or even top talents like Jakob Chikrin and uh, you know Timo Meyer. But how do you make sense of all of it? And what would the Jets lines look like post-trade deadline? I run through what I think we might be looking at here in a few weeks on tonight's episode, and also want to dive into how to fix the Winnipeg Jets power play. All coming right up in tonight's episode of Locked On, Winnipeg Jets. Your Locked On the Hockey Jets, your daily podcast on the Winnipeg Jets. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Howdy Jets fans and welcome to this episode of Locked On Winnipeg Jets on a Friday. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLivingLoco and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, thanks for making Locked On Jets your first listen of the day every day. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to like, follow, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, Megaphone, Odyssey, and YouTube. Doing so is always free of charge and ensures you never miss another episode. But most of all, we just really love and appreciate your support. Now, tonight's episode is brought to you by FanDuel, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more by visiting FanDuel.com slash Locked On right now to get started. As I said at the top of the episode, tonight's up, you know, focus for the show is going to be about how the Jets might look here in a few weeks after the March trade deadline passes. I'm not going to say which players are being swapped out necessarily, uh, who's leaving the Jets, because we've talked about some names that might be on the way out, but I'm more interested in who is joining and how I think the Jets might try and play all of this, because uh, Winnipeg is kind of in a weird spot where, you know, for as many assets as they can throw at this deadline, I don't know that they're really going to have a shot at Meyer as strong as strongly as I really wish they would. Uh, with the the focus increasingly on Jakob Chikrin as one of the top names, and Meyer seemingly being destined for the New Jersey Devils, I just think the Jets have kind of found themselves running up against teams that they have so many more resources to pull upon, while the Jets have a pretty decent base, but not enough to move the needle for a team like San Jose. Focusing on the, the the forwards right now, let's dive into the first line. I think after the trade deadline, I would not be shocked to see some combo of Perfetti, Shifley, or uh, Brock Besser all together. And I think Besser, for me, might be how Winnipeg tries to sort of talk its way through missing on Meyer because Besser's young. He had a, fear, uh, a fearsome shot a few years ago, and he's still doing pretty well for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, this year, he is posting pretty good numbers. I don't know if it's quite as good as it was in some of his earlier seasons, but like you're looking at a guy who's um, not too far from uh, you know being a, a point per game, you know, 35 points in 47 games with a really bad start to the season where he's now kind of starting to score with a lot more regularity. That's a pretty good player with a great shot, uh, and I've always liked his offensive positioning. I said it on yesterday's episode. I think he would slide in pretty well with this Jets team, and he's a right-handed shooter, which the Jets definitely seem to prefer in terms of what they're looking for. I, I think with either Perfetti or Ehlers on that top line alongside Shifley, you've got a dynamite trio. You know, your, your second line of Connor Dubois and either Perfetti or Ehlers, you already know is going to be really good. Um, 
that trio has been dynamite. It, it's really continued to push the pace with Perfetti continuing to bring that dynamism. But to be honest, I also wouldn't be shocked if Wheeler remains in the top six somehow. Maybe Besser is the one who moves to the third line or something. I would be a, a little bit disappointed if, if that were the case. I think Brock or whoever they bring in on that right side really needs to be in the top six so that you can slide Wheeler further down the lineup. Uh, I think Connor, Dubois, and Perfetti or Ehlers, whichever trio they want to go with there, they're going to dominate, so there's no worry about that. The third line is where you start running into some interesting questions, though, right? Because I've said Wheeler being moved out of the top six might be more advantageous to the Jets. And if you have a third line, what are you maybe looking for? You're not looking for a lot of high-end speed. You want skill, you want good forechecking presence, and you want the ability to sort of break down opponents and fill in those scoring gaps when the top six maybe isn't succeeding as much as you want. And that's why I think a trio of James Van Riemsdyk, um, Adam Lowry, and Blake Wheeler would actually be pretty darn effective. Now, Lowry, as an offensive center, hasn't exactly been at the top of the scoring game this year. I mean, he had a decent start to the year, but over the past like 20 or 30 games, you've kind of seen uh, the limitations of his finishing ability. But in terms of a forechecking presence and kind of a wrecking ball, I think he would pair nicely. JVR is not going to be that expensive. And I think, you know, with him being roughly uh, a one out of three game score, I, I think that's not terrible. If you're looking for like a 20 goal guy who can comfortably slide into your left-sided uh, scoring section and bring maybe a little bit more veterancy, a bit of finishing ability, and um, a, a nice dose of experience to pair with, you know, Lowry and Wheeler, who are, are both certainly no strangers to the game and have been around for a long time. They're they're very savvy. And I think that trio could be pretty decent. I don't think it's going to score a ton necessarily. But again, if you're looking for maybe a, a well-balanced offensive unit that still has physicality and can get the job done and also has that, you know, veteran experience that coaches love, I, I think this is a solid unit, right? It's not going to set the world alight. But in terms of what the Jets are rolling now with like Baron, Lowry, and Manalainen or whoever they deputize, I would prefer the the Reemsdijk, Van Reemsdijk, Lowry, and Wheeler trio a lot more. I think that unit would be able to accomplish much more offensively. And uh, JVR can probably slide in somewhere on your power play on the second unit as well. So I think there's a lot to like there with that top nine. But the fourth line is where you also run into some very interesting questions. I would like to see Baron, Gustafson, and maybe Appleton or Gagne together. Uh, Stenland would probably be the fourth line center. I don't think Gus is uh, going to be back for a little bit. And, you know, in the meantime, Stenland has been doing a decent enough job. Not amazing, but decent enough. And so this trio, I think, defensively would be very sound. You know, offensively, you're maybe not getting a ton, but Baron's been solid. I think Stenland and, you know, whoever plays on the right side will just be kind of decent. So, yeah, I mean, this is a this is a, a four-line unit that I think the Jets would appreciate. I think Winnipeg could reasonably do some real damage in the postseason with it. But, you know, one of the bigger questions I have is, uh, aside from the scoring forwards, right, how are the, the Jets going to approach this defense and how should they do it? How should they build this unit? I'll dive into that in just a little bit. But before we go any further, I don't want to shout out our friends at Bill. For those of you who have been longtime listeners, you know that I'm personally a big fan of Bilt Bars. They're the only protein bar that tastes more like a candy bar with a soft, chewy interior and a 100% real chocolate exterior. You might be thinking to yourself, well, sounds a little bit too good to be true, right? How can any of this taste delicious? Well, when you've got flavors like churro, peanut butter brownie, coconut almond, churro puff, and many others, 
it's a great way to enjoy all of the flavor of your favorite sweet treats and desserts without any of the guilt. I personally like the raspberry dark chocolate, which is a, a simple classic flavor, but they do it really well. It's very balanced. And best of all, you know, Bill Bars are around 130 to 140 calories. They come packed with like 17 grams of protein and maybe at worst, five, you know, four to five grams of net carbs. So you can have all of the flavor without any of the guilt. And you can order them at built.com or you can choose your like own variety box. Or if you go to Sam's Club and Walmart, they have a couple of packages in store of like four bar and 13 bar packs with some of Built's most popular flavors. I highly recommend that you check them out if you're looking for something that's a little bit different, maybe a change to your usual protein bar uh, sadness. A lot of you probably don't love eating those because they're dry. Built is not. And I think you will very much love them as much as I do. Hello, friends, and welcome back to this episode of Locked On Winnipeg Jets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We are just talking about how the Jets might look after the March trade deadline, and uh, I've mentioned some names that I think have come in. You know, already Besser and Van Riemsdyk seem like legitimate options for the Jets. On defense, I think I have a lot more questions because I, I think with how the Jets are approaching all of this, I don't really know who they view as like the biggest difference maker. Increasingly, there seems to be this focus on Jakob Chikrin, which I think is interesting because Chikrin is going to be sought after by a lot of teams. Uh, the Kings seem to be one of the biggest landing destinations, but recently it seems like maybe talks have stalled out or something. I'm not entirely sure what's going on there, but the Jets have also been listed as a real potential suitor for Chikrin services, which if the Jets are not in on Timo Meyer as much, then Jakob would make some sense. Now, I think for the purposes of how I'm seeing this, I doubt Chikrin ends up uh, in Winnipeg by the end of the trade deadline. I just really have a hard time seeing the Jets pulling that off, uh, especially with how many different pieces they want to add up front. I think uh, this time it's more likely that a depth defender comes in instead, somebody who's not going to be nearly as expensive and you know they can maybe focus on Chikrin later. But I, I, I still think you know at the end of the day, Jakob's probably just not joining the Jets. It could be in a really big surprising move. Maybe that's their biggest trade deadline move uh, that they make this year. But I, I don't know. Personally, I'm not seeing a fit as much. But given how the Jets might approach this TDL, here are some combos for the blue line that I think could be really good. So for one thing, I'd really like to go back to Morrissey and DeMello together. I think that duo is fantastic. I think you have a great top pairing in those two. And they balance and complement each other's skill sets nicely. Uh, DeMello right now is playing with Brendan Dillon, and that unit, while defensively excellent, doesn't really provide much offensively, and it sort of kills uh, possessions if you put them out there with like the Shifley or the Dubois line. I think you want to get away from that just because having a defensive shutdown pairing is nice for certain situations, but with what the Jets need and how you want them to be more aggressive uh, on the blue line, I think you want to get away from that. So Morrissey, DeMello back together. I think for the second pairing, um, Dylan and, and maybe Sandberg together would be interesting. Uh, Dylan and Schmidt traditionally not the not the most exciting pairing. They've had some decent results before, but I don't know if I would necessarily want to go that route. Um, but hey, I mean, you know, it could be worse, right? I think either of of Dylan and Sandberg or Dylan and Schmidt would be able to eat up minutes and do a reasonably decent enough job. Uh, but the third pairing is where you kind of run into a lot of like, I, I guess questions, right? Because you've got Pionk, and I think the Jets might also be in on Luke Shen. So how do you fit everyone here? I would say, I mean, you could try Luke Shen on the left side. I don't know 
if um if that's like a thing that he is as interested in doing i i think for winnipeg you know playing guys on their offside is not always the most ideal situation and i don't know that shen has really done it a lot uh, i also would not really be that interested in pionk playing on his offside he has enough challenges playing on his natural side so this is kind of where you start to ask yourself, is Pionk or somebody else on the move? Schmidt's definitely not because you can't really move his cap hit. But Pionk, I, I think that there are a lot of teams that would potentially be interested in his services. But if the Jets don't acquire Shen, you don't really have to worry about that that side as much. Uh, essentially, you could just roll anyone on that third pairing with Pionk and hope that it sort of works. I mean, it's not going to be ideal and you're not going to really love it, but at the end of the day, I think as long as you can kind of limit Pionk's minutes, you're going to have a fairly functional blue line unit. But uh, with Shen coming in, it definitely does change the arithmetic. And I do kind of worry if if Shen were to arrive, would something happen with DeMello? I would hope not. I would hope that he would not be traded. I think he's one of our most well-rounded defenders, and he's been a really stout player for this team. Uh, I think he very much has been well worth the money, and I think the Jets would be very silly to let him go. But you know, sometimes Winnipeg makes decisions that I don't always agree with, and you just have to sort of accept it, right? I mean, it is what it is. Me yelling about it really doesn't do anything. Uh, I know a lot of you have probably yelled in the wind about some of the stuff Winnipeg has done in the past, but either way, you know, Shen might be more of a rotational option. It just seems really crowded this year. I mean, the blue line has so many players, and the Jets definitely need to jettison at least one or two of those contracts to free up space and try and make a little bit more flexibility for themselves, especially uh, with the left side having such an abundance of talent, while the right side is a little more sparse. So lots to consider with that. I, I think the Jets could really do themselves a world of good by just figuring out how to mitigate a lot of Pionk's problems. I, again, like I said, I really don't think that they're going to trade him, but if they do, you know, something to keep an eye on, and maybe Shen would be the stand-in replacement. But one question that is still uh, outstanding for this team and is not really related as much to uh, the trade deadline 100%, but still will be impacted by all of this, is how did the Jets fix the power play, right? What is wrong with this unit? Because it's just not been good this year. And I think for Winnipeg, it's a bit of a sore spot because, you know, the even strike scoring is decent, but the power play really should be where they make their bread and butter, especially with the sort of finishing talent they have. And yet something's wrong with it, right? So we'll dive into just how to fix this and, and some things that Winnipeg might take a look at in just a little bit. Hello, friends, and welcome back to this episode of Locked on Jets. We are just wrapping up tonight's episode with some quick thoughts on how the Jets might improve the power play. So obviously, you know, at the trade deadline, Winnipeg could pick up another finisher, and that could certainly change things. You know, a Besser on your right side for the power play gives you yet another really talented scoring option. He could potentially slide in for Connor. Uh, I'm sure Connor would go onto the left side or something where he has played in the past. Uh, really, you could do anything in terms of that sort of arrangement. But there are some really basic and easy fixes that I think the Jets could kind of focus on first. Big change number one, get Ehlers on the first unit permanently. Stop, you know, using him on the second unit. I know that there are some players on the team that might prefer um, having more of the lion's share of the scoring on that unit. But at the end of the day, the, the PP1 needs to be your most effective dominant trio, uh, or sorry, not trio. <laughs> this is not overtime. It needs to be your most effective quintuple. And I think for the Jets right now, it's just not. I mean, Wheeler does a, a solid job, but the biggest problem with this unit 
is that the puck movement is just it's it's slow as molasses and the actual skating is very static. I think Winnipeg has this tendency to, you know, hold on to the puck and wait for opponents to make a mistake, then hit them with like a bang, bang pass and boom, you know, that's how you score. But that's not really what most teams are doing these days, right? In order to actually have a power play be really effective, the biggest thing is rapid movement. You want to stretch the PK diamond and force the goalie to slide across a lot more because at that point, you're actually more likely to force the mistake out of either one of the shot blockers or from the goalie themselves, maybe missing the slide across, maybe missing the post and ending up stranding themselves in no man's land. For the Jets, I think that is one of the biggest problems. The puck movement for me is just so slow. I mean, it's it's all fed through Morrissey and Connor. And while those two are great players and have a ton of offensive threat, it just feels like everything is telegraphed, right? Teams know where the Jets are going to be shooting from. They know who's going to be the trigger man. They know when the pass is going to be made. And the biggest issue with this this slow puck movement is that the PK Diamond has time to adjust and reposition. So the Jets end up just passing around the perimeter. They don't really get their shots off. And it results in a power play that's just really lackluster this year. I mean, you've seen some really pretty goals when the Jets kind of up the tempo and go like more bang, 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 tic-tac-toe, but it's not often that they do this. I mean, more more recently, we've seen stuff like the Columbus game in which the power play was just, I mean, even with the five-on-three advantage, it just did not seem all that amazing. And it's, it's weird to say that after the power play had a great Kyle Connor goal, but on the rest of the opportunities, were you really that impressed with the unit? No, in fact, Columbus actually had more shorthanded opportunities and stuff than I think Winnipeg really felt comfortable giving up. So for Winnipeg, I mean, the power play really should be one of their big advantages over a lot of other teams. If you stack a unit with, say, Ehlers, Shifley, uh, Connor, maybe one of Perfetti or Besser, and then Morrissey or something uh, on the back, and I'd prefer another forward, but I know teams don't really do that, so we're just going to have Morrissey there for now. I think that unit could be a little more effective, but until they really speed up the puck movement, until they kind of start um, using more back-end overlaps and stuff, I think the Jets are going to find themselves feeling a little bit stagnant. That has kind of been the theme of this power play this year, which is funny because the penalty kill has gotten pretty decent this year, but the power play has taken, for me, another step back, and it's it's frustrating. I think this Jets uh, power play could be a lot better. I think it would really help the even strength scoring if the Jets could find a bit, you know, more uh, ability to sort of take the pressure off of the 5v5 scoring, you know, make the power play one of your principal tools and you're going to have a much better time, especially come postseason time when power plays are going to be at a premium. I think the Jets really need to uh, sharpen up there and really speed up that puck movement because that is how you sort of unlock these opposing defenses that have thus far really frustrated the Jets. I would be curious to know your thoughts on the power play and how you think the Jets have uh, arranged this year. Do you feel that it is uh, doing okay, or are you kind of in the same boat that we are, where the Jets' power play just really looks stagnant and it's not good enough? Let me know your thoughts in the comments below. Do you want to see Ehlers featuring more? Do you think one of the new additions from the trade deadline could really make a difference? Let me know in the YouTube comments below or at my social medias at HLivingLoco and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. For tonight's episode, though, that is going to be all the time that we have. Next week, we will have some thoughts on how the Jets handle the New Jersey Devils. But like I said, for tonight's show, that is all the time that we have. Thanks so much for making Locked On Jets your first listen of the day every day. We will see you back here next Monday. So don't go anywhere. Be sure to like, follow, and subscribe. And as always, thanks for listening. Have a great night, and go Jets go.